0: On Sunday nights, doing a series right now entitled Pastor in Church, where I hope to show my responsibility to you and your responsibility to me. And of course, all of this is sin of God's design for the body of believers for the local church. We must have a right relationship if we are going to experience the fullness of God's blessing. Last week, I talked about how it is God who makes men ministers. It's not a church. It's not a college. It's not parents. It's not another pastor. But it is God who ultimately makes somebody a minister. We then discussed the pastor's primary role of praying and preaching while I focused on the preaching. Paul said in Colossians 1.25 that he was to fulfill the Word of God, which means to give the full scope of God's Word. To preach the whole counsel of God's word in all of its fullness. As a result, I personally believe that, ex- I'm going to say it wrong again, Brother Lining. Um, let me make sure I'm looking at it. Last week I said exponential, expositional preaching, and not exponential. Amen. Um, everybody's listening, and that's good because they catch all my errors. Apparently, Brother Lining is that guy. Amen. Uh, I believe expositional preaching is the best. I believe it's the most profitable form of preaching in a church. Um, and somebody asked me that recently, and I think it's a very good question when considering a church. And so that's what I try to do here primarily. And, of course, the, the idea of meaning that we want to expound the Scriptures... Not just pound the pulpit on whatever topic is making me cantankerous that day. (laughs) Because if you've been around, you know there's those fellas that regardless of the text, you're going to hear a message on their pet peeve. And so when you go through exposition, (laughs) when you go through verse by verse, you stay away from some of those things because we need a balanced diet we need to hear everything the word of god says and the primary reason we saw for preaching in colossians 128 last week is that we may present every man perfect in christ jesus and so my desire is to see the saints grow and mature by giving you the word of god so there's a responsibility on your part to receive it to eat of it to apply it and all those things i don't want people conformed into my image because of my ideas Or opinions. But I want you conformed into the image of Christ as God's Word begins to take root in your life. Amen. It's not about one person except the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I was preparing for this last week, I, I hinted at this. As I told you last week, I deleted a bunch out of my sermon about being called as a pastor. And... um. I've come to the point where if I'm not careful, I will give things that are primarily beneficial for those who are preachers and maybe not really applicable to our series. So I want to be careful of what I'm preventing. And I'm telling you this because I don't know at times how much to dig into some of these thoughts that do come into my mind. And no doubt we could spend a lot of time on the pastor's role, but I want to be sure that I am countering that with your role. Now there may be moments along the line, though, that I will get into a pastors uh, where I zero in on preachers. Maybe I should put it that way, and um, just bear with me as I bring forth those thoughts. I'm not. I'm trying not to lose the, the the focus of this series. Now, with that out of the way, would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in Acts chapter seven? This will be our launching point, and then we will be in Exodus. Acts chapter seven leading up to what I'm going to read, we find that Stephen, in this chapter, he is standing before the Jewish council. In chapter 6, they had set up false witnesses against Stephen because the message of Christ was going against the temple and their oral traditions. And in chapter 7, as Stephen begins to speak to the council, he gives a short history of the Hebrew people, beginning with Abraham. He speaks of Jacob and Joseph and then Moses. And it's in His Discourse of Moses where there is a verse which interests me tonight that I want to just use as a launching point for kind of the next stage of this series. Long story short, Moses at the age of 40 killed an Egyptian who was striking a Hebrew. After he had been found out, Moses then fled to the back side of the desert in the land of Midian, and there he dwelt content for 40 years. Then, 40 years later, well, during those 40 years, at the end of that, at the age of 80, while keeping watch over Jethro's flock, who was his father-in-law, he sees the burning bush, but it's not being consumed by fire. He turns aside to see this great sight, and he Hears the Lord speak to him out of the midst of the bush, and God tells Moses, Take off your shoes because the ground is holy. And it was holy because of God's presence. And now let's pick, that, pick up this account here in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 34. This is the Lord speaking I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings. And i have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused. Now Stephen's back to speaking. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that he had chosen signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years." This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai. And with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. First, I want you to take note of how God chose to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. God said in verse 34 that He, God, had come down to deliver them. And God says to Moses, I will send thee into Egypt. Now isn't this interesting as you think about this? God is going to deliver them out of the greatest nation at the time, but He's going to do so by using Moses. God is not going to send in an army. He is not going to send in angels. He is not going to use another nation to come in and stand before Pharaoh and, and drive out the people of Egypt to deliver uh, Israel in the process. And God could have delivered Israel in any number of ways. And he could have used, he could have done so without using any man. We see that God's way is to use God-called men to lead His people. God chose to use a stammering shepherd who had been hiding out on the backside of the desert for 40 years. But it was a man who had a mission from God. And he had the vision of God. And he believed what God could do through a man that was yielded to him. And he had a promise that God was going to go before him. And in the middle of verse 35, we see that God sent Moses to be a ruler and a deliverer. And from there, we can see a similarity to what we covered recently over in Hebrews 13, where it speaks of rulers in the church. And what was Moses to be a ruler over? Well, we understand it was the Hebrews. But would you notice in verse 38 that they are called the church in the wilderness? Isn't that interesting? The church in the wilderness. You see, they were a called out assembly, which is what the word church means. And because of this connection that they were called the in the wilderness, I believe we can make application of what took place between Moses and Israel. What was it Moses was called to do by God? Clearly, it was... To lead the people out of Egypt, but we can also say, and and catch this, because this is going to kind of be the emphasis when we finally get there, not only was he to lead the people out, but Moses had to convince the people, if you will, that may not be the best word, but he had to get them on board with the vision that God had given him for the people. You, You catching that? I want you to go down into Egypt, and I want you to to stand before Pharaoh. I want you to lead my people out. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's just wait till we get there. And so, there's a pattern here. God calls a man to a people. God gives him a vision. And then God expects the man of God to lead the people of God into that vision. With that, go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read verses 11 through 15. This will be a very long introduction with a very short message. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And so we see that the vision of God, it's been given to Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we see that Moses understands the enormity of, of the task that he has been called to do. And a church should want a pastor with enough humility to recognize the enormity of what it is God has called us to do. There ought to be enough enough humility to recognize the insufficiency that we have apart from God. God. Moses says to God, Who am I that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He understands his lack of ability. And I believe there ought to be true humility which recognizes that I am inadequate to take God's people into God's vision on my own. And I don't mean that a pastor is to be a man who constantly Waller's in the doldrums of self-doubt. But he must come to the place where he knows he's been called by God, and that assurance is to cause actions of leadership among the people to fulfill what God wants to do through this body of believers. But it isn't enough to have a pastor who has humility, but you also need a man who has God with him. Would you notice that? God said to Moses in verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee. In church, churches need a pastor who it is evident to all the believers that God is with him. Because without God there will be no heavenly vision to begin with. God will be with the church body who has God's man in the pastorate. And you'll find this throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Even as God's people resist God's man for God's vision, God will still continue working through Moses for the children of Israel's sake. Moving on, we see in verse 15 that there is to be boldness or a confidence by the pastor which can say, I know I have been sent by God. And God said, moreover unto Moses... Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. This is not a prideful attitude. But for those who are leaders in our church, listen to me. This is what will keep you going when disappointments come your way when you can understand and know that God has led me here. God has called me to this task. And if you're teaching, if you're preaching, whatever your role is here, you have to know that God has called you to it. Because the disappointments will come. And you have to know beyond a shadow of doubt, of doubt that it is God who has sent you to minister to others. In chapter 4, We're going to go through these fairly quick, I hope. In chapter 4, God has uh, to confirm His call upon Moses' life. Moses tries to give the excuse that he cannot speak eloquently. God remedies that by sending along Moses' brother Aaron to be his mouthpiece. Thank God for faithful servants that come alongside the pastor. That will be another sermon down the road. You may be in the company though tonight that feels like God can't use you for whatever reason. And you have your excuses as to why God cannot use your life. But I want to tell you that if God has called you, then you go forward with the power of God upon your life. And do that which God has called you to do. You say, but you don't understand what all I've done in my past. No, I don't. But God does, and I can tell you His blood is sufficient. It'll never lose its power. And it can wash away all your sins. Don't live in the sins of your past, but we are new creatures in Christ. And so don't hang on to the idea that God can't use me because of my past. Yes, He can. And yes, He will. You say, but I don't have the ability. You're right, you don't. But God does. And God will develop that. God will use that. He wants to use the weak things to uh, confound the wisdom of the wise. He wants to use your weaknesses because in your weaknesses He is made strong. So don't give the excuses why you can't, but understand why God can. Whoop! God wants to use your life. You are not here by accident. You are not in this church by accident tonight. God has led you here for a purpose. Well, Moses tells his father-in-law of God's calling upon his life, and Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Ah, what a blessed feeling when family is on board. Then we find there is tension between Moses and his wife over their boys being circumcised. And I may come back to this in a later time, but... There's a message there that may be better suited just for pastors, but I want to tell you, there is a genuine spiritual battle that takes place in the family of those who are ministering to others. And it's hard to explain it, but there is a hardship that is there. And I can tell you, my wife endures a lot more than you realize. But I'm going to bypass that for now, or else she'll try to take over and be the pastor, amen? I'm constantly fighting that. I was just trying to lighten it up a little bit. Now look at chapter 4 in verses 29 through 31. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that He had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. Boy, we're off to a good start. Amen. God's coming down. He's hurt our affliction. Whoop, I'm so excited. And man, God's going to use Moses. They gather them together. They share God's vision with the people. And initially we find there is an excitement. The people believed. They bowed their heads. They worshiped together. And this is often what is seen when a vision is cast to a people by the pastor. There's often an initial excitement that builds. There is a belief that maybe we do have God's man, and it gives the pastor the impression that we're going to keep going forward. Everybody's on board. What a happy time. We're going to do this. Amen. We're going to reach the city of Rapid City, and everyone's on board, and you think, boy, we're just going to move forward with a spirit of unity. It would seem Moses had successfully imparted God's plan for Israel. They believed what was laid out would be best. It appears the people are persuaded to follow Moses out of Egypt. The vision has been given, and there was an agreement that God was in this. Is everybody with me? They knew where they were was not where they wanted to stay. They knew there was a promise that had been given to Abraham some 400 years earlier that there would be a land for the people of God to inherit. They understood where they were wasn't God's best and that something better awaited them. And so they decide to follow Moses' leadership because it sounded good. Pastor Williams gets up and says, Hey, I think the next guy for the church is... Gary Brooks. I know there was some grumbling, but you know, it's okay. We're initially excited about Pastor Williams is on board. I'm going to get on board because I love Pastor Williams. I'm loyal to him. And there's, there's this buildup of excitement. Boy, this sounds pretty good. You see, the children of Israel hated to be in bondage. They loved the idea of freedom. There no doubt was an excitement that could almost be felt throughout the entire camp of Israel. But in chapter 5, Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. But guess what? There is no release from bondage. But there is an increase in bondage. And the officers of Israel were beaten. And now they had much more given to them to accomplish with less means. And I can tell you that any time a church upsets the world, it's going to increase the hardship. It's going to increase what the world wants to do to us. It'll be more difficult. But look at chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task." And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Uh Uh-oh. The new car smell has worn off. Amen. There's now a few dents and scratches that we see. The excitement is gone. And we see what happens when there is a lack of faith in God's plan for His people. And these people will take their frustrations out on the man of God when things don't go the way that they hoped they would initially. They saw themselves now as abhorred in the eyes of the Egyptians. But guess what? They were already abhorred in the eyes of the Egyptians. The world already hated them. And they feel like the Egyptians now have a reason to kill them. Well, as we go into chapter 6, I'm going to to come back to this thought because I just want to to build one more point here. As we go into chapter 6, we see that Moses is reassured by God that he will perform His Word because he has not forgotten His covenant with Abraham. And God tells Moses to go back to the children of Israel and rehearse the vision again to them. Would you look please in chapter 6, verses 6-8. through Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with, a great, and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. But notice their response in verse 9. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Well, God instructs Moses to go back before Pharaoh, but wants to notice the people's response now in verse 12. And Moses spake before the Lord, actually this is Moses' response here, he spake before the Lord saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am am of uncircumcised lips? Now you know how all of this ends, I believe. Moses continues to go before Pharaoh, there are plagues that are sent, all of this. There's eventually the death of the firstborn and Pharaoh finally relents and he lets the people go. That was a long introduction to give you the emphasis tonight. I want to draw out from this account how the people's negative reaction negatively impacted Moses. The people's negative reaction will negatively impact the man of God. I'm talking about our responsibility to each other. We see this at the end of chapter 5 and in the middle of chapter 6. When Moses first showed up and said he had been sent by God and gave them God's vision, there was an excitement, there was an expectation among the people. But what happened when it didn't go just the way they had hoped? They took it out upon Moses, their God-sent leader their resistance against God's plan by them toward Moses, it caused Moses in turn to go before God in doubt. Did you catch that at the end of chapter 5? He goes before God in doubt of what had already been revealed to him. God, here I am doing what You've told me to do, but You're not delivering the people at all. In fact... All that Pharaoh has done in response is bring more evil unto the people. Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? Ask yourself this. What is it that Moses has done wrong through all of this? The answer is nothing. 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 All Moses has done up to this point is follow through with what God has called him to do. But the interpretation of the people is that Moses is the cause for all of their increased hardships. And all Moses did was give them the words of God. But they hearkened not unto Moses. They didn't want to hear it just as soon as it didn't go well. Moses had already told them what God was going to do. But because they didn't experience it yet, why should they expect it now after repeated attempts? That's what their attitude is. Why Go before Pharaoh if you want. It hasn't happened yet. Why is it going to happen now? All he's doing is making our life worse. Would you just stop going before Pharaoh? Would you just stop following God's call upon your life? They had already lost faith in deliverance because of their present circumstances. And it says in chapter 6 that they hearkened not for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Meaning they were worn out. They were exhausted from the bondage that had been increased upon them. But the Hebrew word for anguish also has the idea of impatience. They had already grown impatient of God not doing what Moses said God would do. And how quickly are we of giving up on God's plan? Matthew Henry wrote, By indulging ourselves in discontent and fretfulness, we deprive ourselves of the comfort we might have both from God's Word and from His providence, and must thank ourselves if we go comfortless. In other words, we have no one to blame but ourselves for our lack of faith. So what we see as a result is that the reaction of the people will affect the man of God there is this thinking by so many that the pastor is always to show up upbeat. And that nothing is really ever to impact him. You're not supposed to be negatively impacted by the congregation's reaction because you're the pastor. But the pastor is just another man of like passions. And why wouldn't it affect you? Why wouldn't it? Why shouldn't I take this personal? Why shouldn't I want you to respond to God's Word? Why shouldn't I want you to be on board with God's vision? Well, you shouldn't let other people affect you. Listen, I am pouring my life and my heart into this. Well, my response shouldn't impact you. I've heard that before. It does. I've had people chew me out over it. Well, what I say and what I do shouldn't impact your life. Really. Really. I could have swore God has called me here to pastor this church for the perfection of the saints. And I'm not supposed to take it personal? My name is on the sign. I take it personal. I take your family personal. I care about your kids. I care about your marriages. Well, you shouldn't, get, you shouldn't be worried about what happens. in my. This isn't even in my notes. I, I guess God just wanted me to say it. The negative reactions of the congregation do affect the leaders in our church. I'm not saying we dwell on them to the point that we are no longer being used or effective. But it does affect. It does hurt. Nothing hurts more than watching people fall apart. And what it does is it can cause the pastor of the church to go to God and say, why have you sent me here? The people don't care. You're not acting on your part. They're not acting on their part. Why am I here? Whether you whether you realize it or not, we are so closely united as pastor and church that it isn't some man up here and these people that are out there separated by this great gulf between the two. But the reaction of the congregation to the pastor does affect the pastor and vice versa. I recognize my role in this as well. There is actually a unique relationship between the people of God and the man of God, which is not found in worldly institutions. Our pastor in Korea used to say, he was army, he said, if I were to drop over dead, when he was army, if I were to drop over dead, they're just going to send in another motor pool sergeant and the mission is just going to keep on going. You're not that important in the grand scheme of things is what he was saying. That's the way the world operates. You're not that important. We'll just find the next qualified individual, we're going to plug them in, and we're going to keep pressing as a business. It's not like that in the church. There is a more personal nature to it. And when somebody leaves, you just don't plug and play. One genuinely affects the other in here. So as the pastor gives the vision which God has given him to lead the people in, guard your reactions. Because as you give out a negative reaction, it can negatively affect the pastor and the leaders. And when this happens, Satan is getting the advantage over us. And it affects the work of God. What can happen is, the pastor pitches a vision that God has given him, and initially the excitement builds, but let enough time go by without the fulfillment of that vision. And some people are tempted to say under their breath, or maybe even openly, I knew this wasn't going to work. I knew it was a bad idea. Well, of course you do now. There are bad ideas. That's okay. I'd rather try something than never know for sure. But that's not part of it. And, the, and that response causes a great deal of disappointment for the pastor and for the other people that are on board. And I hope your desire is to be an encouragement, not a discouragement. And, and listen, I'm not talking about drumming up some false excitement. Some false energy or, for, or some false acceptance of some vision. You are welcome to question at any time. You have your opinion and you're welcome to give it. But please do so with the right spirit. Purpose not to be the cause for the leaders in this church to run to God and cry out, Why is it thou hast sent me here? You know, I, I imagined as I was studying for this, what if the children of Israel would have tried to encourage Moses and Aaron through all of this. What if they would have said, Moses, stay faithful to God's calling. Keep pressing on. We're with you, Moses. And this isn't just for the pastor. It's for other leaders in the church. How about our youth leader? To be fair, Brother Long has never expressed any of this to me. I am going out on a limb here but I hear the negative comments why someone doesn't like the youth group. And teens, if you'll give me your attention just for a second, your youth leader is not here to entertain you. We are not running an oversized people daycare. They used to say AETC is adults educating tall children. For those in the military. We don't have a youth group just to have entertaining events which perk your interest. Someone says, well, I think it's boring. You need to stop sowing discord among the brethren. And admit the real reason you don't like it is because you don't like the preaching of God's Word. Brother Long wasn't called here to entertain you, but to feed you God's Word. And if there's events along the way, it's just icing on the cake. I don't know about you, but I would like to build the next generation. Yes. Amen. And listen, you other leaders in the church, if you hear negative talk about any ministry, you ought to squash it immediately. Yes, right. If that happens in your Sunday school class or in your sphere of ministry, you need to squash it. Yes. And young people, would you listen to me? In every true revival I have ever studied, the old people had a burden to pray, and the, the young folks desire to see a manifestation of God. The old timers, man, they got fervent about praying. And listen to me, old timers. You say, I can't do it. I used to I know you can't, but you can pray. And the old timers, they get under a, a burden to pray. And then within the youth group, something begins to happen. They begin to get desirous for a move of God. Not what is it you can do for me. But that we want to see God move in our midst. How about instead of complaining, you get on your face before God. And you first pray for forgiveness, and then you pray that God will send true revival to this church. I can't explain how that's always been the case, but that sure does seem to be the case of how God works. This is not an entertainment club we call Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. But this is the church of the living God. And we've been called by God to reach the lost and encourage the saved to keep pressing on. Don't you want to see God do more? Don't you want God to use us to reach more? then let's stop pointing fingers at the leadership. Moses, just stop. Stop pointing fingers at the leadership and get on board. What if we replaced complaining with praying? I have set a vision for this year. Let's fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. How many of you have yet to hand out any invitation cards? If we don't rally behind God's vision, and if we don't back our God called leaders, we cannot expect God's blessing upon us. And so I'm just challenging you tonight get behind the leadership in the church, get behind the vision. Let's cry out for God to work mightily among us. Let's see what he does. Well, preacher, what happens if we hand out all 20,000 cards this year and nobody shows up? I'm not in charge and neither are you of the results. We are just called to sow the seed. Well, let's pray.